What is up guys, it is Stu. And are you tired of your social media copywriting sucking? Are you tired of being frustrated every time you try to type out the words that go with the photos or videos? I know that if I was talking to you, you could talk to me about it perfectly. You could articulate what it is you do and what problems you solve. But the second you go to type it out, you're just like, uh, I don't know what hashtags, like, I don't know, I'll just say carpe diem. Like, you just, you shit the bed when it comes to typing out your copy. Not anymore. I am now offering copywriting services for micro gym owners. We will get on a one hour call, you, me, and a copywriter that I've hired that works with my brand, Urban Movement, several other micro gyms, and we are gonna go ahead and discuss your brand specifically. Who is your avatar client? What are the micro problems that you solve for those people? How do you solve them? Are you a PT first gym? Are you straight to class? It doesn't matter because this is 100% tailored towards your business. No bullshit templates that I'm rinsing and repeating and giving to everybody. Everything is completely unique for you. And then at the end of the copy, the thing that really brings it home, and that's where the magic of a copywriting service comes in, we tie it all up and we allow the individual to you know, visualize their success, what life would be like when they get rid of that problem via your business and service. That's the thing that makes copywriting copywriting. It's the thing that makes ads sell and people click on links. So if you're ready for your copy with your social media to actually start making you money and for it to actually resonate with your customer, to push your brand message forward and to put more members in your fucking building, shoot me a DM on Instagram. Hit me up on Instagram and we'll begin the process to see if it is a good fit for you and your business. Guys, thank you for listening. On with the podcast. What is up, guys? It is Stu. It is What the Fuck Gym Talk. And I've got Jeremy Miller, the founder of Sticky Branding. And that was the name of your first book, correct? That the first book you ever wrote? Yeah. The book was named after the company. Okay. So there we go. So Sticky Branding was a book that comes out after you create this company. We'll get into your background here in a second. And then I got exposed to you. I got in the in the mail, I get a copy of brand new name. And um, a mutual friend of ours, Alex, who owns um, Element CrossFit, is he still running with? Is it still Element CrossFit? He's running with it. Did he take your advice and stick with that? Uh, so he, he dropped the CrossFit names with now Element Fitness on Got social it. to Element Movement. Uh, but he he had been expanding beyond the the CrossFit brand for quite a while. But he is Got still it. a CrossFit affiliate for sure. Okay. Alex is a great guy. I've had a chance to meet him at several of my speaking engagements. He's come out to Charlotte, um, seen my place. And so he connected me and Jeremy and, you know, fast forward to today and, and we're finally on this podcast and we're jamming on all things. So I, I, you know, I love brand new name. I've read through this. I thought this was a, um, I thought this was a great way for someone who is sitting there, want me, you know, an owner, a head coach or two, a couple influential leadership team members could sit down and really get some amazing name exercises, you know, and how, what, what do we call our thing now? And you and me were just talking off air. You're obviously very familiar with the fitness industry and kind of the, the CrossFit PR implosion that happened earlier during COVID and, and Jim's running away from the, the brand of CrossFit and okay, well, what do I call myself? Well, I was CrossFit Southeast. So yeah, Southeast fitness. That sounds great. I'll just stick with that, you know, and, and that kind of that shit show that could happen. Walk me through real quick. Give me a quick background. Tell me about, you know, you had your family was, you saw your family business go through a recession mm-hmm. in 2008. You've seen all that kind of lead me down the, the pipeline of how you got to the, the world of branding and working in this B2B world. 
Sure. So my path into branding wasn't consistent or wasn't traditional. I didn't go to school for this. I didn't go work in advertising. I was an entrepreneur uh, and I grew up in an entrepreneurial family. And, and the, the interesting thing is we all have this BCAC moment in our lives right now before coronavirus, after coronavirus. So part of the story I'll tell now, I haven't spoken of before March of this year. Uh, but I grew up in a, a, a family business in the recruiting sector, and our business went up and down with the economy. So I'm very recession-tuned. And when I joined my family's business in 2004, we were coming out of the downturn of the early 2000s. And so my first job was to actually rebrand the business. And so I came in as the director of sales, and that first year of the job, we were cold calling and doing all the stuff you would expect to do and nothing worked and it was just blowing me up. And at the end of that year, I sat down with my parents and I said, uh, if this is what it's like to be in a family business. I can't do this. I, I gotta go back to the software industry or something. This is brutal. And uh, my dad said to me, it's not about the business you've built, it's about the business you're building. What are we gonna build next? And that gave me permission to look at what was going on and I noticed that our customers couldn't distinguish us from anyone else. We actually didn't have a sales problem, we had a branding problem. Problem was I was a sales guy, I didn't know anything about branding. So I started reading everything. If you're watching this on video, I've got all these books behind me and I'm reading all these branding books from Marty Neumeyer and Al Reese and all these dudes. The problem was they were all talking about big companies. Like how do you brand Apple, Nike, Starbucks? Well, that didn't, wasn't relevant for me. I was a small business with a marketing budget and a sales team, but I couldn't do what these big guys were doing. And so I had to read all this stuff and translate it. And I got really intrigued by this idea of how do small and mid-sized companies grow remarkable brands? And so it went through that experience of transforming my family business, growing it in the great recession of 08, 09. We had no slippage in sales. We actually grew bringing on a new customer a week while our rest of our industry cratered. And I sold the company in 2013 to do what I do today. And, and I use the commission of that to actually write the first book, Sticky Branding. So talk, take me through something. So I think everyone listening to that is they hear it. And I'm a big, you know, I, I, I talk to the gym owners I work with these two worlds. There's branding and there's marketing. These are two worlds that, that we live in. Everyone is, you know, especially in the fitness industry, running towards sales funnels click funnels, uh, marketing gurus who could get me 90 leads in three days for my gym. Uh, but the branding is always something kind of left behind. When you sat and zoomed out and looked at your, your family business, what, what's an example of something you looked at and like, we haven't been doing this part of branding right. And, and how it led to, you know, obviously you guys surviving a rough patch where a lot of other businesses were not. So, there's multiple tracks to the the how on this, but let's talk more fundamentally about this idea of marketing versus branding. I think Jeff Bezos has the best quote of what is a brand. And he said, a brand is what your customers say about you when you're not in the room. And fundamentally, what is a, is a, a CrossFit gym owner or any membership driven business brand? It's the community. It's your members. It's the experience that happens in your four walls. Or if you're a virtual community, it's the experience that happens inside of your community. And so I have a quote in brand new name that says successful businesses create successful brands and never the other way around. And what I mean by that is your click funnel is not your brand. The moment that someone signs that membership is the most inconsequential part of the entire uh, brand experience. Your brand is built upwards of three years 
before somebody signs on and becomes a member of you. They might know you in the community. They don't, might know other members. They, they, it's the work you do, the reputation you build. And then once they become a member, that's fundamentally it. So the in-gym experience, the quality of your programming, the quality of your coaches, the way you make people feel, that's your brand. All the marketing stuff, all that is simply to amplify it. And if you put all of your time and energy simply on click funnels and conversion, and you have nothing to back that up, well, then you're going to have churn rate. And if you have member churn rate, that's the first sign that you got a brand problem. And for a lot of gym owners are listening to this, and you know, I, I talk about the CCP. Every gym, I ask, what makes you special? What will you do in your market better than anyone else? And they'll always give me CCP, coaching, community, and programming. And while I understand, nobody walks into a gym saying, hey, Stu, I'd like to sign up today because I heard you have great coaching community and programming. I heard the coaches have level 17 certifications. I might make friends here and you program linear periodization. It's going to give me 15 pounds added onto my back squat over the course of 18 months. Nobody fucking says that they come in because all the touch points you've put there in the world. And those touch points are other customers of yours telling their coworkers a story about you. Um, it is the repetitiveness of the consistent messaging you put out on social media. It is the fact that your website and your social and the outside facility and the apparel all resonate and make me feel and think the same thing when I see it. And then the way they, the reason they stay is they learn, they make friends that your community they really buy into your coaches and your coaches make changes in their lives. And there's the, the phenomenal coaching and the programming essentially is I like the workouts we do here. That's as simple as that, right? You don't have these overly educated clients who are sitting there analyzing why you're doing a two to one ratio of upper body pulling to lower body knee bend, blah, blah, blah. Talk to me a little bit for a gym owner that is looking to amplify their brand, whatever that may be. How do they think about it beyond that? my coaching community and programming is the best in town. Cause that is a, that's not a message you can go running to the market with and saying we're the best at this. So if you look at the CCP metaphor, which is great, uh, it's a great acronym that defines essentially the basics. That's what you have to be brilliant at. And I don't think anyone should ignore it because that, that's your, your secret sauce in terms of those results you give are what make you amazing. So I think you're, that's your foundational, but that's not your marketing. Your marketing starts to actually talk about the translating state. So if you look at this of what do we deliver through fitness, through any uh, health, fitness, any kind of program, there's a starting place. What are the pains, issues, or challenges, or wants that a client faces before they walk in the door? And then what are their aspirations or what are the, the, the outcomes that they deliver? So someone's probably coming in as a first time client saying, I want to increase my squat. I want to get skinny. I want to do something. They have a state of change. And if you can speak to that, that story, that's where you create a quick response understanding. But the way they stay is in really the two things of CCP, which is, did I learn something new today, this week, this month. Learning, I think, is one of the most powerful uh, hooks in terms of bringing someone back. And then two, do I feel like I belong? And so community is a bit of a BS word. It's like saying relationship. It's, it's too high level. How can you convert that into tangible, measurable actions? It could be as simple. If we take Alex Sabiria of Element, what he did after COVID was so brilliant is that 
since they lost the, the connections of the box, he assigned every member a dedicated home coach to call, text, or email every single day. And so seven days a week, you are hearing from an instructor just to say, hey, Stu, how are you doing? Do you need help tweaking this programming? What Are you going to come to today's class? Do you want to come to the wine tasting thing that's going on on Sunday? And it's simply that deliberate bridge that you're building. Uh, and so I'm, I'm a big believer that that branding is substance and how are you going to create the experience that bring people back and what are those key things? Cause there's not gonna be a lot. There's probably one to five things that you do that make your, your experience that much better. And if you can invest a disproportionate amount of time in that, like the home coach scenario, it put, pays dividends. Yeah. It's what I always go back to. Um, I'm a big fan of Jay bear. He wrote a book called talk triggers and, you know, talking about, coaching community and programming are expectations of the customer. It's the bare minimum. They want, they expect the coaches to be quality, the, the workouts to be good and, and for the for people to be nice, for there to be a friendly atmosphere and things like that. But what you just described with Alex, nobody was expecting that. He went above the expectation, which creates that amazing touch point and that sticky point for that customer. Because if we constantly always just do what is expected of us, even if we do it really, really, really well, it, it never makes us as sticky as when we go in above and beyond and surprise people. You know, one of the tactics we installed a couple of years ago, at the end of every workout, uh, staff comes out of my gym with a bucket of cold aloe scented towels, either tea tree or lavender or eucalyptus. And if you've ever gotten done with a workout and you, even if you do just a hair of research and like what tea tree does to the senses in revitalizing you, I wanted people to walk out of urban movement feeling better than when they walked in and this little, just little extra. Now it, there's a lot of logistics on the back end, fucking making sure those things are cold and the, all that other stuff. And what is the right essential oil? The water could put all that BS, but that was just one little thing. And I use that with gym owners. And I say, it's, you know, it, whether you have to, you think about merging the, the Ritz Carlton and the hospitality industry and in with the fitness industry. And I think we're a lot more gyms are thinking like that these days versus, um, you know, uh, we got the best new concept two rowers. Eh, the members really aren't going to give too much too, but you know, they don't understand the the hierarchy of equipment. But little things like that that you maybe can pull from other industries. Um, I want to kick over to we were talking. Obviously, you're well, you're fully aware of the that we talked about that PR kind of shit storm that that CrossFit went in, and you and me were both of the same opinion. A lot of gyms are going 80 miles an hour in a 20 jumping off the CrossFit bandwagon, making rash fucking decisions about affiliating, de-affiliating, whatever it may be. Talk to me as you see it, the biggest obstacles, a gym that de-affiliated, you know, knee jerk or not, and it, but it's, that's, that's the world they're in right now. Now that they're naked out in the open without, you know, the way, you know, they're no longer uh, have the safety of the brand name of CrossFit. So I think the first thing to recognize is what we went through with Glassman's tweet was insane. It was the, uh, a brand that was already in conflict and decline based. If you watch just the strategic choices that organization has made for the last few years, it had lost its map. And, and, and so there was, it was, and then what we've had after coronavirus is this heightened sense of sensitivity and it's still there. And we can see the social unrest throughout the U S uh, on this. Um, but if you, what, so what's going on? So COVID is a unique situation that is both a psychological issue and a business issue. 
So on the business side, we have companies that are leading to bleeding. So if uh, you're selling PPE, you're crushing it. If you're in restaurants and hospitality, it's a different story. On the psychological side, it's like we've been taken down Maslow's hierarchy of needs and smushed down into the fear of our homes, our health, our safety. And so that combo of things right now and just all that's going on has created this extreme sensitivity. And so the thing we have to recognize coming out of this situation, whether you de-affiliated or not, is that issue is still there. And so we have to be hyper-relevant and hyper-sensitive to the way our members are, are feeling. And any decision you make now has to be hyper-communicated before you even act on it. This is what we're thinking and why. Can we get your input? This is what we're going to do. And this is based on the decisions we have today. But just so you know, we may change based on how things change. Like it's this, we need to have conversation and dialogue to create trust because that's lost. It's, it's so fractured right now. But to get to your specific question, what do you do? Well, my opinion is this. CrossFit is an identity. The, you recognize the sport as CrossFit just as we recognize baseball is baseball or, uh, or football is football. The, it is the sport. And so when you de-affiliate, you're removing yourself from the sport. And that's really the problem that we face right now is that if you de-affiliate, you need to carve another path that is outside of CrossFit. You can't keep following the box rules and the confine rules because you stay on the path that you're doing, you're going to atrophy out of non-existence. Now, if you reinvent yourself, you might have a, a path for it. It's just going to be really, really hard. If you have that, if you don't have the, the stones to do that, reaffiliate, tell your members why you're reaffiliating. There's new ownership. This is what we believe in. This is what we're going to do. And get your banner back under the CrossFit sport because that's how we identify with the activity. Nobody is going there. Um, and then one other point on this, and sorry, I'm rambling. If you had the fortunate ownership of a city name with CrossFit, like CrossFit New York, CrossFit Barry, CrossFit Toronto, whatever it is, and you gave that up, do whatever you can to get it back because now that the rules are that you can't use a city name with the affiliation, that was the best SEO, best naming juice you could ever have. And if that's gone, that was probably the biggest mistake uh, of your life. And I'm sorry to say that. Yeah, the uh, the SEO behind that, and you know, I share with you my story. We deaffiliated years ago before all this to pursue a different belief in fitness, to to go a different way with everything for scalability. And I, I share with people that was that was a huge loss in sales, in marketing reputation. It was a it was a you're you're really behind the eight ball when you decide to leave a behemoth like CrossFit. And the only thing that really saves you is when your thing you're doing now truly is completely different. Not like, oh, we do our barbell workouts like this. Not like we have this cut, like, no. It truly is a unique thing to where if you would have kept the CrossFit name, people would have came and said, this isn't CrossFit. This isn't what I know, that that's not CrossFit at all. It truly was something unique and different. But as you said, creating something unique in this, in the world of functional fitness, that everybody is doing some version of constantly varied functional movements at high intensity. Orange Theory, CrossFits, Berries, Boot Camps, all of it. We're all doing some version of that. There are un more unique ways of packaging it up, and there's more kind of um, generic ways of packaging it up. But I I'm, what I'm seeing a lot of right now for the gyms that did de-affiliate is now, and there's a lot of egos involved in this, people are less, they're less um, 
inclined to do what you just suggested. Hey, say, hey, I fucked up. I'm a single business owner. I don't know. We made a mistake. We're going to reaffiliate. They're going to try to shove round pegs and square holes, force through this position, but really with no new unique idea. And like you said, I think they're going to find themselves, uh, they're, going to, they're going to lead to their own demise. They're going to be doing CrossFit without the brand name and on a long enough timeline, they die as a business. But for those so why that believe- are you doing this, right? Yeah. So why are you doing this? Like you're a business owner, I'm a business owner. Yeah. At the end of the day, you are a business owner to make money, to pay your salaries, to grow forward. And if you fuck up as a business owner, you make a mistake, eat your humble pie and own it. Because if your ego is getting in the way to what you just said- why are you doing this? It, like, like, not up. This is a business. It's not a. It's not a personal identity. Correct. Yeah, you're not on the. You're not. You're not varsity of the high school football team. You know. You know, posturing to for anything else. You you created and you built this business. Hopefully, with the idea of exiting it at some way, handing it down to your kids, selling it, sitting back and making revenue off of it, passive, whatever it may be. I'm of the, when I'm looking at these guys now that are not going to go back to the affiliation route, they're going to be, okay, I want to create something new. And if they truly believe they have something new, now they have to brand it. And that's the thing. How do I brand my new thing? So let's say they have a new way of delivering fitness. No one in the world is doing it. What would you recommend someone start with when they think of how do I tell this story now? I was known for years as this CrossFit thing. I'm in the same building. I've got a new sign on the front and I'm doing things completely different in here. I swear if anyone sees it, it's, it's the shit. It's amazing. What do you recommend? So the, this is actually where true brands are built and what you're describing. And it's, you're creating either a new category or subcategory. It's something new that didn't exist before. It's not like you're taking a concept from one city or town into another city or town. And we're all familiar with it. Like, CrossFit is a cat as a subcategory of the fitness industry. What you're saying is we're going to create a new subcategory within this. Well, the, there's two things that you're going to need that out of the gate. The first thing is you're going to need to name it. And uh, in that you either you're going to name the category just like Greg Glassman did to CrossFit, or you're going to need to name your business in association with the category. I'm more in line that if you're truly that innovative, I think you should come up with a name for this type of fitness. I think what Greg Glassman did better than anyone else in the fitness industry was naming. Not only did he name uh, his, um, his, the, the fitness or the type of fitness in terms of this hit model, he named all his workouts, which created a cohesive language for spreading the, the concept. So, so what is your style of fitness? Give it a name and then market the category. And then your business name, if it's the same, I, it could be different though. Uh, if then your business is the representative of it. If you think of this from a marketing context, that's what HubSpot did. HubSpot is the marketing automation uh, inbound marketing people, but they coined the phrase inbound marketing because when they came out, they did content marketing systems, they did landing pages, they did CRM, they did uh, they did marketing automation and email. What the hell are they? They, rather than competing against MailChimp or Salesforce, they said, we are inbound marketing. We help you bring leads to you using this suite of tools in one unified platform. So when you name your category, now you have a story to tell. I love it. And it's interesting because that, you know, for the, um, I'm a bit, you know, Pr Primal Branding by Patrick Hanlon is one of my favorite books. We're getting into like the lexicon. 
right? The sacred words that you go ahead and you give to the elements within your brand so that when people talk about it, they have a tribal language. The cool thing about CrossFit was you could be a CrossFitter uh, in the UK, in the US, but you both knew what three, two, one, go was. That's a ritual that everybody understands. You knew what Cindy and Fran were. Um, you, you both could look at each other's hands and talk about calluses and like the, the, the struggle of getting pull-ups and all this other stuff. There was this shared camaraderie and this instant bond that CrossFit created. And you're right. I think Glassman, I would say knowingly probably was genius in that, in that giving things these names. I mean, look at the name Metcon that didn't, that, 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 that name, metabolic conditioning, was found in the back of exercise physiology textbooks. That's what I went to college for. You found the word metabolic conditioning in the back, not even that big of a deal, and it's the name of one of the fucking Nike's premier shoes right now. And that's how powerful a name like Metcon can be. And you know, I think when a lot of people, you know, one thing I loved about this book, as you go through it, um, you really start understanding the best names out there are brilliantly simple, yeah. brilliantly simple. And it's when you, it's, but it's only after you zoom out and the worst thing anyway, you know, when someone sits down and like, okay, I'm going to think of a name today. That strategy alone is not going to get you somewhere. I love the way you laid out kind of the three big macro steps here and, and, and the sprint and all this stuff. And if anyone's listening to this, you've got to go and you're really thinking about a name. Um, and you're sitting at Google at 3 a.m. in the morning on thesaurus.com just trying to think of words that sound like sweat and move and lift and all this other stuff, I cannot recommend enough to go pick up a brand new name. But let's talk a little bit about, I love your concept of um, you know, BC and AC. Let's mm -hmm. talk AC. Where do you see, you know, one of the big things you guys are talking about in your crisis marketing is you've got to go ahead, you've got to have a sales accelerator. All right, and you have to have a, a slingshot strategy. Can you talk a little bit about the crisis marketing services for people who want to make it in the fitness industry after coronavirus, okay? Yep. And talk about these two concepts, sales accelerator and slingshot strategy. Sure. Uh, well, we're all going all through this shared experience. And to, no matter where you are, if you're in stage two, like I'm in Toronto, Canada, we're still stuck in stage two. And so uh, like the gyms here, we're, they're all doing programming outside. Uh, I know in, in other places, they're, they're semi back to normal, but we're working in this brave new world. And, and so everything has fundamentally changed. And we know it's not going back to normal anytime soon. We are likely in this situation for at least another year to go. So what we need to look at is to first recognize where you are in terms of how this situation has affected your gym and your business. And so the sales accelerator is really trying to answer the first question is how do you recover the customers and revenue taken by COVID-19? And I think this is the most important thing. If you've had a decline of anywhere from 20, 30, even 90%, the way you manage your business going forward is going to be through cash flow. And so if we're at this point right now, we have to ask the question, how do we find those, those new pockets of revenue? If you can't open up uh, the box, maybe you need to be doing virtual programming. Maybe you need to uh, look towards outdoor or, or boot camps or whatever it might be. How can you create new products and services, validate them, test them, and see what's going to scale after COVID or what's going to scale within your current business? And you may not have the answer because it's a bit of a moving target right now. Yeah, that makes sense. It does. It does. And, you know, I'm sitting here, I'm thinking about, you know, there's a lot of strategy, there's a lot of um, complications to brick and mortar fitness scaling 
outside of brick and mortar, right? I mean, supply chain is strangled. You know, gyms are loaning out equipment and, you know, I, you know, I've been working with gyms that are still closed. It's like, okay, how do we create your at-home experience? You know, we got you the camera equipment. We've got a, a decent, you know, a decent for a small mom and pop operation, a decent remote service with a good app and all this other shit. And now it's how do we create the experience with equipment in the world of tonals and the mirror getting purchased by Lululemon and fucking Peloton. How do we compete in that world? And can we even compete or try to compete in that world? Because that's where most micro gyms are going to now try to achieve a sales accelerator is going to be, okay, I'm no longer the, the hardest thing. The, the number one sale in fitness is getting you to come to me first. If I just right. get you inside the door, that's the number one sale we all have to make in the fitness industry. The membership afterwards should be easy. That first right. one is very, very, very hard. So now I don't even have to make that happen. I need to invade your personal space on, you know, on a scroll on Facebook, get you interested. But what make, why, how am I going to compete with the production and the equipment and all these other things when, I mean, my program, I'm a CrossFit gym, right? I, I've got, I use barbells and kettlebells and dumbbells. I can't get these people barbells, kettlebells and dumbbells. And even if I could, they might be in an 800 square foot fucking apartment in Atlanta, Georgia. Right. So, so like, I, I you go ahead. The, the the question here, though, is focusing on need. I don't think it's a question of production. I don't think production quality is going to differentiate one gym from the next. Would I, if I have a look at what happened here when the locked, so uh, the announcements of the travel ban were announced on the 11th, the March 11th. The NBA was closed by the 13th. We had all the other major league sports closed, and we by 15th, 16th, that following Monday, we were basically put into the fucking. And so now we're in this this transition. Every gym basically put their programming online for free. Um, and if, even if it's with your membership, you can get more content than ever before wherever you want. That's, that's going to be table stakes. What I think the question that every gym owner needs to ask, though, and this is core to crisis marketing, is who needs your expertise and your resources the most right now? And it's being conscious of when you look at that individual who's got living in an 800 square foot, um, uh, living in a small apartment in Atlanta, Georgia, or who has poor internet or whatever it is, look at the demographic and the need of your members. And then how can you adapt your products and services for that? And then three is how do you go out and sell that? So, but if you focus on need, this is the core to, to a sales accelerator is you're looking for green shoots of opportunity. We're all suffering today and Peloton does not serve every customer or every fitness person's need. What's the niche that you can serve? What's the need that you can serve? Because you've been given the greatest entrepreneurial opportunity of a lifetime is that you actually can compete with Peloton right now because everybody can't go to a gym. Everyone's going through the same thing at the same time. So whoever can act first and adapt fastest is going to learn more. And it's, if you can find that green shoe, that's the core of what sales accelerator is, is if you can find a need and validate it, then the next question is how do you build it? And that's where your slingshot comes in is how do we build and scale this thing? Once we know the need exists, do you see for gyms? And one of the, the objections I get a lot of time is, well, am I going to put a ton of effort, time, and energy in this, in this scenario here, and then the world gets back to whatever normal looks like, and my gym opens back up? Do I now become a hybrid company 
am I now? I mean, Stu, I was, you know, I've got me and a couple coaches, you know, we were, you know, making the in-person thing work, but we were stretched thin there. Now I've got to have this remote digital thing as well. So for a gym owner listening to this, are they thinking, okay, my slingshot might be some version of remote coaching, on-demand streaming, you know, personalized Zoom, whatever the heck it may be, personalized programming. It, do I, is, it, is this a Band-Aid? Or is this literally, do I need to like rewire my thinking of this is my business going forward? So the way a slingshot works is you take the, what you learn and you adapt in real time. So you think of it, if you're to, to wind up around a planet and you're just building up a momentum so you can come out of it, your slingshots momentum is really going to come into 2021. So we got five months left in this year. We're just coming into August at the point of this recording. And if we've got five months in this year, then based on what we know today, what we can probably say is we may see a second wave or this, this first wave is just going to keep growing and we're going to have regional and, and, and national issues. So based on what we know today, the first step is how do we make revenue? So how do you get to where you were pre-COVID or even a little bit better? And if that means you're going all in whole hog onto uh, virtual, do it, make the money, get paid. This again, this is a business. So if you, you ate shit cause you uh, de-affiliated and you're coming back, eat your humble pie and, and, uh, and deal it. It's come focus on the money. And so get cash into the door through virtual. And if things suddenly open up in Q2 of 2021 and you've got to say a million dollar virtual business and now you can bring back a million dollar uh, inbox business, now you've got a yes and scenario and you've doubled your business based on these market dynamics. Yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in the, the concept that the reason someone in your hyper, one of your hyper local prospects, someone who possibly could have found their way into your brick and mortar to engage your fitness services, you were much more attractive of an online option still than Peloton. Peloton was around well before coronavirus, and there not everybody is a Peloton customer. Just because this happened doesn't mean everybody goes, all right, I twist my arm, I'll buy a Peloton. Right? That, that's not how that works. There are some individuals that are just, no, I'm not going to sit on a spin bike for 45 minutes and look at a screen. They're, they're just not them. But now, if you can create, again, like you said, I don't think the production quality is the make or break here, but you could create a model where, hey, by the way, we're local. You might bump into me at the coffee shop. You might see a bunch of the coaches that you're actually going to see on this fucking screen, you know, walking around at the grocery store with the mask on. And if they're wearing their branded stuff, I think that creates a better opportunity for someone. So if I'm thinking of an avatar prospect who would maybe eventually be your brick and mortar customer, that is still your best bet to sell the remote thing to. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to have a remote service where you could go and meet the instructor that you watch fucking three days a week and have a meeting with them at the local coffee shop to discuss the goals or to do the Zoom thing and be, know that they're literally physically two miles down the road. What, that is a unique, that Peloton, the Titanic that is Peloton and Tonal and the Mirror cannot compete with. You're nailing it. So I, I keep coming back to Element just because I know their, their story so well and I've written about it. Uh, what Alex did was, uh, was, was he, he really did three things effectively. He did the home coach. So he put everything online. That was first. That was table stakes. Offered the home coach was the first point of connection. 
The, the second thing they did was they, they assumed when they came out of the gate that people wanted to have a short workout at home to get sweaty. But what they learned within the first two weeks is that people actually wanted uh, a break from being trapped at home. And so they started to extend their programming from 20 minutes to an hour. And so it became much more community oriented and they would have breaks in it where they would chat and they would do social things. Uh, so there was that, that connection now. And then the other thing they, the third thing they did is they put in member driven programming. every night at seven 30, they run uh, an event. And so every Sunday night, uh, Kelly Pong does uh, a wine tasting. And on Thursdays, I think it's a game night. Uh, there's another one that's a dance class. And these are all member led activities. It's like primetime television, but, they have 50 plus people checking in every week. And it's only available if you're a member, if you're paying your 200 bucks a month, that's who's there. But it's, it's turned out the core need that Element Fit is solving is not fitness. It's a break from being stuck in your home with your kids. Yeah. It's uh, interesting. One of my favorite micro gyms, uh, Alchemy 365 out of Minneapolis, They've got, you know, five, six locations between Minneapolis and Denver and they, you know, their outdoor workouts are their main thing right now. And they started, you know, instead of hosting one central location and bringing a bunch of people, they literally just started like put a little map together. Here's our little pop-ups. Members just show up and they're not, they're not even supplying coaches to all these pop-ups. People go there, take the remote workout or the programming and they meet there with other people. And it's, they're, they're, you know, what in the marketing world, consumer generated content, we would call like, these are, these are consumer generated workouts that are happening, little pop-ups, little, you know, um, raving fans of your brand popping up all over in different parks at different times. And it allowed for a multitude of availability for people to go ahead and get that social outlet. Sometimes it's just two people, sometimes it's 25 people. But it, it was a, a really cool strategy to leverage the membership to help enhance the community. Because while there were plenty of people like, I, I will not be joining two or 20 people outside right now, I'm not comfortable with it, they can still stay in the comfort of their home. But for those itching for social interaction, and then it became, a, and then it became hey, let's do this 30-minute workout. Oh, and let's go next door and get some takeout from that local Chinese place, whatever. And, and the community, like we talked about in the beginning, being such a sticky element of what great brands do, but they don't do it by, you know, punching community in the face because it's such an overused term. I, I'm a big fan. They create culture and your culture dictates the community. So um, what's so neat about that story, though, is they've created something at scale that doesn't require staff resourcing and control. They're facilitating. And if you look at that was what was the original paradigm that made CrossFit so successful. It was always held up as this open source gym model. Well, they are taking a scenario where the biggest limitation to a box owner is their physical location and, uh, and the cost of that. But if you're able to have maybe a smaller core gym, but you're now able to reach a national or even an international audience by facilitating this, you're a, you're covering a core need, but two, you're, you're also creating a really scalable, viable business model. And maybe the, the membership cost of this is less. Maybe it's only 25 or 50 bucks a month for the privilege of this kind of a network. Um, and so now you got a value proposition that it's cheaper than going to a box and paying 200 bucks a month. And you get all the benefit of your short community. If anyone's familiar with the, the startup company, I mean, they're startup years ago, but meetup.com. It's the basis for that company, meetup.com. Individuals with similar needs, likes, desires, uh, hobbies, 
meeting up. Just this is all just hyper localized to your brand and people who are either interested in you know, interested in learning about it or people who are already diehard tribal members. Um, so as you're sitting here now and you are taking businesses through the sales accelerator and the slingshot strategy in this AC, what is still a lot of the, and I guess the way this strategy works then is regardless of whatever the next hurdle is, you pretty much just go through the process again, right? You pretty much walk right back through it. Hey, a new hurdle pops up. We all now have to fucking do X, Y, or Z. The government has placed X, Y, or Z mandates. These are now the obstacles. And essentially, it's start back. Okay, now let's assume where are the green shoots, right? Exactly. In this well, new, you're, this you're, you're iterating for sure, but you're iterating with knowledge. So the question I, I, I posed uh, this week to, uh, to my community was, if you know for certain there was going to be a second wave in September or, or October, what would you do differently? It's not like you don't know how it's going to affect your business. It just did. So based on what you just learned, what are you going to do differently? And so what we can do, the way we structure the crisis marketing process is a weekly huddle. Every week you come together and you look at your scorecard. So what are our, our, our metrics looking like? What are the action items and accountability of getting things done? And then based on what we're learning, how do we need to do micro adjustments in terms of our, our plan? And one of the things that we see outside of the fitness industry are supply chain issues. So manufacturers uh, have an advantage, especially if you are in North America, uh, because many of their competitors have outsourced to China or other places and they can't get their product to, to North America right now. Well, if you're watching that your competitors have a weakness, that's an opportunity to make adjustments in terms of your, your advertising strategy, your sales strategy, your product strategy, etc. The same thing is true in the fitness space. What's going on in your community? So what's going on with your members, customers, and, and prospects? What's going on with your competitors? There's a lot of carnage right now. And then what's going on just with the regulatory perspective? And if you can keep an eye on all those three things and be adapting week to week to week, you'll never actually fall behind. The thing that kills everybody is the change happens and then they wait to see what happens. Yeah. I think it's interesting. Um, you know, you mentioned, you know, right now you're able to sit by, we know how this has ravaged us. If we could all go back, you know, uh, four months ago, we would have prepped differently, right? But now if there were to be a second wave, and we unfortunately would have to go back in time to maybe, you know, full on quarantine, shelter in place, whatever it is, more, you know, um, higher level of restrictions. What would you, which, what would you do now? And, and my biggest fear is that gyms are opening back up or they're just opening up and maybe they're not experiencing dire uh, legal consequences and they feel like everything is back to normal, or at least they, they're hoping they're back to normal. It's like the domestic abuse relationship. Like he's never going to do it again. Like it, this is not over by a long shot. This is not the last time this thing is going to punch you in the mouth in a business standpoint and creating resiliency to this is, is ultimately what I believe you really have one there. There's gonna be very few businesses that just like keep their head above water and just enough to get a little bit of oxygen and make it through. I, I don't like, I don't think that business is like, there'd be very few stories like that. I think you're going to have to literally become the most resilient version of your business where if you looked at it in 2023, it looks nothing like for the most part, nothing like what it looked like in 2019. Yeah. 
I think there's, I think there's two paths, you know, what you're describing there is the path of innovation and hustle and, and being hyper vigilant on this, but there is another option. I had a, a, a friend of mine. And uh, when I asked the question of what would you do with certainty, he said, I'd sell. He didn't even hesitate. He just we're out. And I think the, the one thing that we should put on the table in this conversation is that based on, you know, what's happened in the last four months, do you have the wherewithal to go after what we are facing potentially in the fall? If we look at Australia, Melbourne is back into full lockdowns right now. South America is completely closed and they're both uh, uh, ones in winter, ones in summer. So we've got uh, pretty good indications that it's going to be a complicated fall. And so if that's the case, do you have the cash flow, the stamina and the desire to innovate like you're describing? Because if you don't, now might be the time to take your chips off the table and that might be sell, that might be exit, get your cash out. Don't be a martyr. So I think we need to be really humble and fair with ourselves that this hustle porn uh, style marketing or, or entrepreneurship that like the Gary Vaynerchuk's of the world promoted before coronavirus, that doesn't matter anymore. Like we got to be legit uh, run scared work and drive uh, mindset right now. Yeah. And I don't care how much hustle in the world you have in a battle, hustle and math, math always wins, always wins. Never is undefeated. It is the fucking Mayweather of, of these elements. And you can hustle and work and believe in your thing more than anything. And you can, but at a certain point, math will, if you cannot sustain it, the math will take over. And unfortunately, that's where we're seeing so many gyms you know, before this, I predicted, you know, 30% or maybe more uh, small businesses, you know, self-proclaimed fitness uh, micro gyms in the United States would go down and go under. And I've just used sample sizes, not only my own client list, but of, you know, just anything I hear pulling it in and all that. And I, I'm, I'm fearful that I undershot that number. I'm very fearful that I undershot that number because how many of us were, you know, if we had one bad month of sales, Ooh, that was a big deal. Well, you're going to, you just, you're about to step up to five months of no sales or very altered sales. You know, maybe you've got a 2495 online product and you got super stoked because you sold six of them. Well, based on the previous model, that, that, that revenue doesn't stack up. It, it doesn't work anymore. Where, um, you know, obviously with your, your experience, like looking at gyms like Alex's and things like that and uh, the CrossFit model, do you see, and I know this is kind of taking a step out of, you know, the expertise of, of sticky branding, but do you see a evolution? Do you see that, that the, the warehouse barbell gym pull up rig, like the, these, you know, which is again, a very commute. Like when I say communal, you touched a lot of the same thing. Like, do you see big threats to that industry long-term? So if you were sitting down with a CrossFit coach who had a gym, very similar to Alex's, like you remember, what are the big vulnerabilities do you see there for their brand in the future? I think we're all, all putting in place new safety criteria. Every, not even in the fitness industry, everybody's going through it and we are all going through the contingency issues. I think one of the big things every fitness uh, gym owner needs to think of is what hap what's your contingency plan with when a member shows up in your box with COVID and now you're doing, now you've got that reputation because that's going to be a hard one to shake. So these are, are things that take really, really seriously. And so where I'm excited on this opportunity though is on the, the virtual side of things. 
if you know these conditions are here, how do you innovate? And I actually think we're going to look back at 2020, say in 2022, and the, the CrossFit experience of what we knew it as will not be the same, but I think it's going to be a lot better. I think it's going to be, it's like the, the example that you gave of the, uh, the hyper-local uh, uh, small groups coming together. We still need people. We still need learning. We still need community. We still need all of these things. But now, do we really need to have as much as the infrastructure we thought we did? So I think the opportunity here is, A, you're going to have to be so hyper paranoid about protecting your members. But two, as you put restrictions on yourself, how can that be an outlet for innovation? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, everyone who's sitting there thinking about how much their commercial rent costs and, you know, listening to this. And I, I'm just picturing some of the, like, fuck it, I'm going to get three shipping containers and put them in three different locations all over the city. Like, you know, like the original Reebok commercials when they first partnered with CrossFit, they had those Delta, the Delta logo shipping yeah. containers dropped down at a box inside of it. Um, but it's, it, it is going to be, it's a different world. You know, I'm, I'm hoping that every gym owner that's listening to this does also at the same time isn't naive enough to think it's going to go back to the way it was. I do, and again, I'm a big believer. I don't think brick and mortar in-person fitness is going anywhere. I think, I think of one thing the 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 pandemic and the, the mandated shutdowns have shown is that that group of people still want that. Like again, th- let's say the fitness industry is what a 33 billion dollar industry, whatever it is. Whatever piece of the pie was in-person boutique brick and mortar fitness. I don't see that as, as your, I, I see the supply and demand changing. I think the supply is going to plummet. I think there's be far less options. I think the demand for interpersonal relationships will still occur, but then there's this middle thing that I can't, you can't is government, you know, the government's role in keeping people safe and the rules and mandates, um, equipment and supply chain. You know, I think there's a great opportunity for American made fitness companies, like American products developed here in the U S things like that. I think there's a huge opportunity there. Um, I I think, uh, in the consolidation of equipment, you know, do barbells need to be that big? Why can't they fucking collapse to the size of a dumbbell handle? Like whatever the fuck it may be. Like, I think there's a lot of innovation fitness wise, um, to, to carry over the inbox experience into the home. You know, so it feels more seamless. A CrossFit client who gets a dumbbell, a couple dumbbells and a pair of kettlebells to go do workouts in their living room, it's not the same experience. It's not, it's not, it's not the pull-up bar. It's not the high five. It's not the chalk. It's not the cut. Like, so I, I, again, I, I do have a lot of hope for brick and mortar fitness selfishly as an owner as well. But I, I truly, because I think a lot of that at-home experience short of innovations and equipment, I think it's going to be very hard to, to, to really fully replace one or the other. Well, I don't think you can. I think what we can guarantee after coronavirus or after, after this year is human relationships will come back. We are social people. If you put a child, an animal person in a solitary confinement, they come out messed up. We need human beings. So I don't think the, the future is in-home fitness. I think the future is community. It's just going to be through a different lens. And so it allows us to be creative and think this through. Um, But let me just take a quick tangent, though. Uh, Are you familiar with Jenny's Ice Cream? I'm very familiar. We have several of them here in Charlotte, North Carolina. They're out of Ohio, one of my favorite brands. They are are delicious. So, But they are a great case study to look up because around – 
five years ago, maybe they had a listeriosis crisis and they were shut down, especially in their early startup agents. But their member or their clients stayed loyal to them. So when many food organizations had these kinds of devastating moments and people got sick, they, they end up losing the brand, losing the business, or there's the process of building out. Jenny's did a great job and they, they focused on being really transparent in their communications and their clarity, but they also really focused on building a great community, that culture and all the things we've talked about today. So I encourage people just Google Jenny's and listeriosis and or listeria and look at the, 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 that story. But take what we're talking about today is that we know the conditions and the risks. So communicate them, speak with your members, survey your members, ask for the participation in this, create the conditions now that you don't have the hero symptom because uh, the probability of someone having COVID in your facility is better than good. So if that's gonna be a truth going into this year, how do you deal with this openly and transparently with your members now so that if it does happen and you are shut down for four weeks or something else, that you have them back and then you haven't lost trust. Yeah. You brought up Jenny's uh, Chipotle with their E. coli. That's happened several times over. Um, and the transparency, I think, is such a good point. I'm, I'm fascinated with Kickstarter culture. You know, products like, hey, I've got this product. You can't have it or touch it yet. You can only see and hear about it. But I want you to pay for it now. And I promise it'll come to you in nine months. And the Kickstarter campaigns that crush a million or more in revenue are always the ones where, like, the, the founders are, you know, have their iPhone and they're taking you to the warehouse in fucking Malaysia, showing you it's being made. And listen, this is why everything's delayed by seven weeks. You see this issue here? We wanted to fix that for you. And I think that's so that's so well spoken of, of quality brands is good communication. And we can go ahead and look at brands during coronavirus that had poor communication with their customers, maybe mishaps or, you know, okay, there we go. Yep. And, and brands that did a great job communicating with their members. You know, my favorite one so far was, um, uh, it was the Guinness commercial over St. Patrick's day. They did a great job kind of talking about putting, obviously, that's, that's, their, that's their Super Bowl is St. Patrick's Day, right? If you're, you know, for the Guinness brand and, and the communication they did with, with video media about how, regardless, we are all still cheersing together, just separate or whatever, the, whatever they came up with there. I thought it was beautiful. But um, Jeremy, dude, this was, uh, this was an absolute blast. I, uh, I, I, for everyone listening here, obviously, um, my, my intro to Jeremy was in brand new name. And if you are one of those guys who did de-affiliate and you, you do now have to come up with this thing, I highly recommend you check out this book. Um, Jeremy, how else can, can people learn more about what it is your firm does, uh, some of the, the, the crisis marketing tactics, all that good stuff? Easiest way to find me is to Google Sticky Branding. Uh, the website stickybranding.com. I'm on all the social networks at Sticky Branding. And uh, the crisis mar there's a crisis marketing ebook on stickybranding.com. It's free. Download it. It shares the first four less or lessons from the first four months of the crisis. And I did profile Element Fitness. So there is a box story there that you can take from. And we spoke a little bit about that today. I love it, dude. I love it. Thank you so much for taking the time today. I greatly appreciate it, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Jim. Awesome.